A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far enough. <laughs> Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's officially bonfire night, but as with everything else these days, we've already been celebrating it for days on end. It feels like Brexit, for heaven's sake. If you manage to survive it, we've got some more bad news for you. This morning, there's yet more evidence that the NHS is being run by complete idiots. The nation's healthcare budget is being hijacked by private psychiatric companies and charities. Some of them are even funneling exorbitant fees into secret trusts in places like Belize, for heaven's sake. The Times has got a great exclusive on that this morning. Uh, We're going to talk to them. Meanwhile, the Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, wants us all to be healthier so we don't cost the NHS too much money. Does he actually know what he's doing? An apple a day won't actually keep the doctor away, and it's not much of a health policy either, Mr Hancock. 03444991000. Katie Perry is back, and we'll be finding out what she makes of the midterms in America this week. Will it be a huge endorsement of the Trump presidency, or is the rage of women uh, going to be the cause of his downfall? 03444991000. Coming up, we'll be celebrating the Spice Girls' comeback and asking why a grown man could have posed as a 15-year-old school boy asylum seeker and got away with it. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, and Katie Perrier on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, you might remember, Katie, that there was a big to-do about the fact that many of these young asylum seekers were coming into Britain some months ago, uh, many of whom looked an awful lot older than we were being told they were. We were being told they were children, that they were being rescued from war zones, and certain people in this country said, well, hang on a second, should we not be checking precisely how old these kids are? And there was a huge kind of who uh, from the uh, sort of bleeding Human heart liberals lobby. type who said, no, 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 we must let them all in. We must be welcoming. David Davies, MP uh, for Monmouth, uh, was slightly uh, suspicious of some of it. And we're going to talk to him right now. David, uh, very good morning to you. Good morning, David. Good morning. Good Thank morning. you. Thank you very much indeed. I mean, this story kind of is, of course, hopefully a rather rare occurrence, right, where you get somebody who's clearly pretending to be much, much younger uh, than he really was. But to be all, to be honest, you look at a picture of this guy, he does not look 15. And by any standard does he no well the problem is that this is is going to be a fairly common problem because you've got a lot of people who have a vested interest in pretending to be younger than they are now some of them may not have if you like some kind of evil motive they may simply want to stay in the country 
um, and, and not be sent home. And they know that if they claim to be under the age of 18, they've got a much better chance. But of course, the reality is that nobody dares to challenge them. If you're a, a civil servant or work for the local authority or a teacher, you dare to suggest that somebody is actually uh, lying about their age and, and, and you'll find that your career comes to an end pretty quickly. And actually, I think it was the head of immigration who pointed out that some of the people coming in from Cali were over the age of 18, but he waited until he retired. And I don't blame him because I've, I've been the victim of that kind of um, ridiculous hysteria mm. for suggesting that some of the people are, are actually, frankly, lying about their ages. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. You you raised this a few months ago. You said that we need to do more uh, kind of checks and making sure that you're more scrutiny on these people. It's pretty fair enough from where I'm coming from that if you want to access our school system, if you want to access our benefits and you don't have any paperwork to show who you are and where you come from, that we may have to do some of those checks as, uh, you know, as impersonal as they may seem. Tell us more about the backlash you got when you suggested that. Oh, absolute howls of outrage from uh, from everyone in every single political party and, and most media outlets. I mean, just look online at the Piers Morgan interview, which I did shortly afterwards. I, mean, I was literally being chased around. Never had this. I'm a backbench MP being chased around by angry journalists. <laughs> um, but the reality is anyone who wants to go and, uh, uh, and talk to people who work in asylum seeker centres, as I have, privately, quietly, they'll all tell you this is happening. I actually had one guy who, who works in an asylum seeker centre, I'm not going to say where, and he said, well, we've, we've got people with grey hair who will say that they're 16, yeah. and they'll do it with a twinkle in their eyes because they know that it's it's going to take months and months to try and check it out and to challenge it. And um, the longer people can stay here, the better their chances are of being allowed to stay permanently. So it's in everyone's... All of, all of these people have a vested interest. I don't say they're evil. I'm not suggesting, you know, it looks like there were text messages sent to this school, but I'm not suggesting that all of them have some kind of, dare I say, sexual motive. No, far from it. But if you're... No, but if, you're, you if, know, you're, you if your 15-year-old daughter, David, is sitting in a classroom with some bloke who's between the ages of 25 and 30 pretending to be a schoolboy, I don't think you'd be all that happy about it, would you? No, I wouldn't be happy at all. I'd be quite outraged by it. But nobody dares to challenge it. I'm not saying that all of the people who are 30 are doing this because of, of that kind oh, of... Oh, no, motivation. I'm not suggesting that. No, I'm not. But I would be outraged. And the trouble is nobody can challenge it. I mean, you watch now. As soon as we finish this interview, there'll be people on Twitter um, screaming outrage. How dare you suggest that anyone's flying? Yeah, I, I find I get that every anyone. day, David. I wouldn't worry about yeah, it. I'm, I'm, quite, I'm quite used to it. To be honest, <laughs> David, so I won't I mean, worry I, about it. I, I've done it now. But, but the, the people that we need to stand up over this, uh, people in the civil service, the immigration department, uh, social services and education, and they don't feel they can because they know that the moment they speak out or even raise a concern, they're going to be jumped on, accused of being racist, and you don't want that going on. And, and so nobody says anything. And you can tell a lot about an age from, say, dental records. So why can't we go down that route of saying to people, well, if you have no proof... Yeah, but they don't have dental records. No, I know, but we people. have to... No, be... no, no, no. There's, there's an easy test that you can do, which is done in a lot of European countries and in America. And over here, interestingly, you can tell within about four years how old somebody is. So if somebody looks uh, about 21, you couldn't tell for certain if they were 18 or not, because it's only accurate about four years. But if they were, if they were 25 or 30 you could definitively say this person is over the age of 18 how and it's to do with it's an x-ray to do with the teeth i'm not a dentist so i don't okay. fully understand it but nobody if you, the british dental association have said that they that the tests are, are only accurate to within four years so basically they are accurate to within four years and they're widely used across europe and in america and mm. funny enough they're actually used in this country but the difference is that if you're an asylum seeker who's been refused uh, an application to stay here on the basis that you're older than you say you are, then you can go along and get the dental checks and use them as proof that you're the age that you say you are. So nobody disputes the accuracy mm. of them, but nobody wants Isn't that to interesting? use them because... 
you know, so you can, you, you can use them against people. the government, but the government can't yeah. use them to prove something against, against you. you. That's, that's correct. The world that's has gone officially well, I mean, mad. How is it, how is it that we got here, David? Because it seems to me what you've just described uh, in that nobody wants to say anything about this because they're frightened of being accused of something. You know, we've reached this kind of screech politics point, haven't we, where everything is like this now. If you say anything uh, which is not to do with the sort of, uh, you know, the generally common held beliefs by the so-called noisy people, i.e. the Human Rights Brigade, uh, that you are castigated and sort of lynched in public. Well, well, I can. I mean, I've had a more recent experience, which which is over the issue of transgenderism. Obviously, I'm all for for trans for people who are transgender should, should be treated with respect and dignity, never discriminated against. Mm. I mean, I and I honestly believe that. But I also believe that there are issues being raised here about women's safety. If somebody's physically male has male genitalia, then they uh, they shouldn't really be in certain areas like prisons, for yeah. example, women's prisons. Now, I mean, how could anybody it, disagree with that? Well, believe it or not, they do disagree. I know. Not only do people disagree, but I've been, because I held a meeting for feminists who were concerned about this, I was threatened with a police investigation by another member of parliament for committing a hate crime. I spent three months being investigated by the Standards Commissioner. I've I've been called in to see the sergeant of arms before the meeting even took place. Um, And never mind what's on Twitter. I mean, the, the, the the reality is that there are certain things that we're not allowed to talk about. One is the age of asylum seekers. Another one is a suggestion that perhaps somebody with male genitalia is still a male and, and shouldn't be in women's areas. And there are various other things as well. It's very interesting, you know, that, that um, we think we live in a free society where we can have open and free debate, but, but on certain issues we can't. The problem is is, is that, that the people that do suffer are the ones that we genuinely wanted to help. Those children that are kind of you know, 10 years old who don't have access to, to many things, but we, we, you know, as a country, we have said that we are going to take you in, we are going to help you, we're going to help you and your family get on in life. And they will, they suffer because there are people that are you know, trying to you know, jump the system and saying that they're, they're 16 when, when really they're 25, 30. And the whole thing goes into disrepute. And I worry that people at home will think, you know what, let's not have anyone at any time, anything, when we are meant to be, you know, that kind of to- to open, tolerant country. But there's a limit. Don't push us because otherwise mm. we will come well, back. There's no, there's, there's no accident, I'd have to say. I don't know what you think about this, David, that there are many people now sort of moving towards the Tommy Robinson view of the world because of all of this. Of because course. Because they get pushed into a corner where they feel as though their lives are under attack in some way, not just from an immigration perspective, but just from a general kind of, you know, right-on perspective that you're not allowed to have certain thoughts. And so naturally, people will go the other way, won't they? Well, of course, and we're sort of seeing a bit of a backlash over Brexit now because of of this... um this whole issue of a so-called people's vote. I mean, the people have already voted yeah. in, in actual fact. Um, and the people who voted to leave the European Union have been denigrated. Uh, it's been said, oh, well, we shouldn't take any notice of them because they're all working class, they're elderly, or they read The Sun or the Daily Mail, and their yeah. views basically should be ignored. Right. And I, I'm seeing a backlash up against that because I've got people writing to me saying, yeah, I want a people's vote because we, you know, the people got it wrong last time, so make them do it again. What I'm also getting is a lot of people writing to me and emailing me and saying, how dare you, all of you, including me, ignore us in this fashion, treat us in this fashion. If you dare to, um, to, to go against what we've democratically voted for, then there'll be consequences, yeah. some of which um, you know, could, be, could be rather unpleasant. And You know, one of the problems is that the people who have this right-on view of the world never talk to people who've got a different point of view. That's no. what was so surprising to them when we voted to leave the European Union. Well, I know what yeah. they're thinking because they're telling me all the time and I see on the BBC and everywhere else. Right. They don't know what, what, what the well, rest anybody else is thinking. Well, exactly. they, live, they live in a bubble. Well, that's exactly right. It's like all these kind of middle-class uh, bar- barristers tweeting each other over the course of the weekend saying what an outrage it is that Aaron Banks is going to be interviewed by somebody on a BBC radio, a BBC television programme 
uh, because he's clearly a criminal, even though he hasn't been proved to be a criminal, and he should not be given the oxygen of publicity. I mean, who do they think they are, these people? They'd like to control the media as long as it says what they want it to say. Well, they're, they're, they're also um, acting as judge and jury on yeah. a man who, who's, who's not been properly investigated, let alone convicted of any offence. And my view uh, is, if you don't like him, which I personally don't, I have no time for Aaron Banks whatsoever, let him have airtime. Yeah, but it's then better to sh- me right. Yeah, exactly. He looked he can, very shifty can, on the Andrew You know Marshall. what? Everybody else will see what I see about yeah. the man. So I figure, you know, if you are part of a, you know open democracy, you should allow these people on telly. And then we at home, because we're bright enough, we're smart enough, we can make up our own minds. We don't need people telling us what to think all the time. Well, you've been very kind to let me come on today and air my views, but I'm afraid that a lot of radio stations wouldn't do that. Well, I, well, talk radio is a place for you, David. You should come on here more often because you talk a lot of sense and you say things that that, that I believe in. But I tell you what worries me uh, is that this one case that we're talking about today uh, is merely one out of very, very many. Because if what you're describing is true, then there could be all manner of, uh, sort of 25-year-olds in schools around the country. I had a case in the constituency which alerted me to it, which was um, a, a lad who was pretending to be 13, um, who was put into foster housing. He'd come into Cali, he was put into foster housing in Monmouthshire, right. uh, and shortly afterwards assaulted somebody in the house. And he was in a house with, um, with, young, with other young children as well, even though the, the foster parents clearly said, look, this is a man, he's over, he's over that age. One of the adults was assaulted, so it wasn't one of the children, luckily. Um, but, but, you know, you can see what would have happened and that when they, the police investigated, they found evidence of jihadi websites and things on his phone. And he was, he was clearly over, overage, but because he'd made that claim, mm. and this is a problem. It's not just schools. In, in a way, schools are more, are a safer environment. It's foster homes, yeah. children's homes as well, where you already have vulnerable young people who don't perhaps have the parental support that you'd, you'd normally have yeah. in school. I mean, do we even know how many children, and I use the word advisedly, uh, in this particular batch that have come into the country? Because surely somebody's keeping t- track of them all this somewhere. Very, very hard to do it. I've tried finding out through oral questions and also finding out how many people have been challenged mm. on it, but it's very, very difficult to do. Right. Uh, nobody wants to release those figures. Right, and I saw a very disturbing uh, news report the other night, actually, on, I think it might be Channel 4 News, I'm not sure, but there's now a bigger wave of people coming through uh, eastern parts of Eastern Europe. They're now reaching the sort of Bosnia-Croatia uh, border where there's an awful lot of land covered in landmines. Um, and these guys are now taking their lives in their hands by running across fields that they know are full of landmines to try and get into Western Europe. And they're all from Afghanistan, they're from Iran, they're from Libya. You know, there's no shortage of people that are still coming. And, you know, regardless of what happens during Brexit, if they get to Britain before the end of March, they're staying and they're going to school with your children. Well, I mean, even afterwards. But, but the thing is... Um... There are millions of people, hundreds of millions of people who have a much poorer life in in Africa and Asia than they would have over here, even if they're on the relatively small amount of benefits that people would get if they're asylum seekers. So there's a huge financial incentive to come. If you take somewhere like Iran, I've been there, it's not it's uh, it's you know, it's not a, a great country, but it's perfectly peaceful. It's not somewhere where um, where there's warfare going on. So people who are leaving Iran are doing it primarily to get a better standard of living. Yeah. And we somehow have to differentiate between those who are looking for a better standard of living because there are hundreds of millions of people like Well, I'm that. looking for those a better standard of living myself, living. actually. I'd like to go and sort of take myself over to Beverly Hills and get myself a Ferrari <laughs> and drive around with the top down over a day of drive. But I can't do that. But we can't. And, and the, the problem is there are hundreds of millions of people, literally hundreds of millions. I mean, Angela Merkel opened up the doors of Germany and within a year or so she had a million people coming in. And now most of that million will, will want to bring in lots of relatives as well. Another thing that, that's frustrating is that I'm always getting emails whenever the council want to build um, a new 
load of houses on, on some fields, right? which is fair enough. People are complaining about that, and rightly so. I can understand why. You don't want the greenfield being built all over. But some of the people complaining about it are then sending me emails saying, we're not doing enough to support migrants in this country, allow migrants to bring in all their relatives. And you think, well, hang on a minute. You're, you're, you're complaining you can't have cake and eat it, yeah. being built over the greenfield. And yet you, the same person, I mean, one of them is a Liberal Democrat candidate. I'm, you know, in, in, in my own constituency has done that complaining on the one hand about houses being built and say, oh, of course we need houses. We just need them somewhere else. Not quite in my in my little rural village, please. And by the way, please do open up the barriers and allow as many people to come in as they want because it's not fair that we stop people coming in. Just don't build an extra single house in the village that I live in. Sheer hypocrisy. Absolutely right. And while we've got you on, Dave, before we let you go, because I know you're in a hurry, uh, one final question. It's on the dreaded B word. Uh, do we have a Brexit deal? What, what are you hearing in Westminster? Well, I, I, I hear what I hear. I think we'll have a deal because it's in the interests of the European Union to give us a deal. I think they also need to realise, and perhaps they're beginning to understand now, that if they don't want to play that game and they don't want to give us a deal, we'll leave without a deal. Because I think they, they're, they're finally realising we're not likely to be bullied in this country. They didn't want us to leave. They want, us to, they want to continue taking our money uh, from us and, and keeping us locked into this somehow. And they were being told by the Remainers and Lib Dem MPs and, and some Conservatives as well as Labour, well, if you give the British people a hard time, they'll cave in and they'll do what you want and they'll change their minds and they'll stay in the EU. No, it ain't going to happen. Mm. And they need to realise it. It's either going to be leave with a deal or it's going to be leave with no deal. But one way or another, we're going to be leaving by the end of March. Tremendous. David, listen, thank you so much for your time. You're possibly the most sensible MP I've ever had on my show. So I'm going to have you back on uh, regularly. Thank you very much indeed. David Davies, Conservative MP uh, for Monmouth. Uh, you must know he's talking an awful lot of sense about an awful lot of things. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand, And he's exactly uh, following my mantra on Europe as well. Of course they're going to give us a deal because if they don't, they're going to suffer more than we are. And so that will probably happen. But if it doesn't happen, happen then so be it let's just go and i think uh, even everybody listening to what david just said there will uh, be in total and utter agreement a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. And that's about the time she walked away from me. Nobody likes you when you're 23. And I saw more of you my TV 
This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham, 03444991000. Mike says, Mike, all this political correctness came from America. Uh, why, when America comes up with certain views, we follow them like lemmings? Uh, time to think for ourselves. Well, you might say that, and you may well be right about that, but look what happened in America. They elected Donald Trump, and that was their kind of backlash to political correctness and the whole fact of eight years of Barack Obama. Uh, you can argue all, all day and all night probably is about, about the efficacy of Obama as president, whether he did any good, whether, in fact, he was not as good as he should have been, all of that. But what you can say uh, is that the uh, the end result of whatever political correctness was in America is Donald Trump in the White House. Let's talk to Sean, who's in gospel. Hi, Sean. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Katie. Hi, good morning. Good morning. What do you want to say? Um, you just had um, David Davis MP on, and um, he, he made a mistake with regards to Brexit for Did next he? year. Okay. Um, if, if, if we get a deal, and it's Theresa May's deal, um, we won't actually be leaving the European Union next year because what she's hoping for is a two-year transition period. So essentially that keeps us in, but all but name only. And yeah. That's what the whole row around the customs union and... and that's this Brino is. thing that people talk about, isn't it? Yeah, it will be Brexit in name only, and everyone in the country needs to be made aware of this and just double-check with their MPs how they're going to vote. So when people like David Davis come on the radio, I'm, I'm sure he's not meaning to be misleading... Um, but he well, is. yeah, but you're talking about a deal that you think will happen as opposed to whatever deal he was talking about. I'm not sure he was talking about that necessarily, that deal. He was basically saying that we should get a deal because it's in their interest to give us one. However, that deal may not be the one that she's proposing at this point because it has to be, you know, cross the I's and T's dotted and all the rest of it. And it has to go through Parliament. You know, there's a lot of processes by which an agreement has to be made. So, I mean, I don't actually care whether we have a two-year transition period because it's not about, you know, it's not about staying in or going out at that point because we are then going out. In fact, we are out. It's just a transition period. You know, nobody ever said, Sean, that, you know, here's the here's the, the, the guillotine that comes down. And you pardon my French pronunciation of guillotine, I'm sure. Here's the guillotine that comes down and that's the end of that. You know, you're no longer part of the continent you've been a part of since the Iron Age. You know what I mean? It's, it's not... Well, for me, yeah, I do have a problem with the transition period because that wasn't what I was sold when I went and cast my vote. Well, well, you weren't not sold it either, though, were you? Yes, pardon? But you weren't not sold it either. You were asked if you wanted to leave, and we're leaving. You weren't asked how. Yeah, but there wasn't a box on the ballot which clearly stated, oh, well, we're going to leave, but by the way... After the two-year Article 50 process, there's going to be a further two-year transition period. That wasn't on the ballot. No. Do you know why? Do you know remain. why it wasn't on the ballot? Go on. Just try saying it again. Well, you, you, you probably wouldn't get it on the piece of paper when it fought. Exactly. It doesn't make any <laughs> and, sense. And do you think those politicians had any idea how to leave the European Union when they suggested it in the first place? Uh, well, no, I wouldn't say all of them did. Probably not. I mean, I would, I, it's one of those things. But you, it, to me, if you offer the public a choice, which was leave or remain, and then you turn around to them after a two-year Article 50 period, which is when you're meant to negotiate the fair relationship and then leave at the end of the process, then they're now trying to sell it as, oh, we're leaving next year. And we're not actually leaving next well, year. Well, you are. You're we just are. being pedantic. No, we you're are, being, we are leaving next year. No, no, if you're in a customs union or a customs arrangement or whatever word you'd like to use, that is not leaving the European Union. That is Brexit in name only. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question, Sean. Have you ever been divorced? Have I ever been divorced? Yeah. Right. When you get divorced, right, you pay a bunch of money to the person you're getting divorced from normally or you receive a bunch of money from the person you're getting divorced from. That can go on for many years. 
It can go on for a long time, right? You're still divorced. You're just still paying for it. That doesn't mean that you're not divorced, does it? Yeah, but you're not in that consensual relationship anymore, are you? Because if you've left a marriage, um, I, would, I wouldn't be taking any orders from my missus for that time, that's for sure. Well, don't be so sure. Wait way. till you get divorced before you see whether that happens. <laughs> but the bottom, the bottom line is, Sean, that we are leaving. And you're right. Uh, to, uh, if you want to be very, very pedantic, yes, you're right. But if you want to just be realistic, we are leaving. If you last Liam Fox in the Cabinet, one of the leading Brexiteers, he says, I've waited 40 years to leave the European Union. I didn't want to join in the first place. A couple more to get it right and to make sure we don't do anything which harms our economy and our workers is fine by me because you know what? We are still leaving yeah. next March. And I think that's a pretty pragmatic I think place it is. to be. And if you're somebody, Sean, who I suspect you are that has wanted to get out of this for a long time, then you should have that attitude as far as I'm concerned and just say, right, this is good. We've, vote, we've voted to leave. We're going to get out. It might take a little bit of fancy footwork, but we're going. I, I think you're going to find a lot of people in the country are going to feel as I do and they're going to feel betrayed and, you, and you've like intimated about civil unrest and everything else, people are going to get very angry. Well, I think people need to get a grip. I think people need to get a grip. They need to work out what is actually going on. They need to get to, to ask themselves the question, am I getting what I voted for? Are we leaving? The answer to that is yes. Yeah, but it won't be March next year. Well, don't worry about it. Calm down. Transition calm, your, calm your jets. It'll be fine. Sean, thanks very much indeed. I mean, we have to say this to people who want to uh, remain, that don't worry, things will be fine. Now we're finding ourselves having to say it to people who want to leave. Don't worry, things oh, will be fine. Oh, it's like the Brexit Samaritans. What's going on? What's going on in this country? It's you know, right, people everyone. Are, you it's going to be all out, right. Man. Just chill out. And let's talk to Jeff, uh, who's in Hull. Hello, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Good morning, guys. How morning. are you? Nice but, to talk to you again. Yeah, very, well, very nice to talk to you. What would you like to say? I'm sorry to bore everybody listening yourselves there as well, but there's something that a lot of people have missed. In fact, I don't believe I've heard anybody mention this scenario mm. regarding the, the dreaded B word. Yes. I'd just like to put it across. Okay. Now, given the time of the year that we find ourselves in right now, this is very, very, very apt to go back to World War Two. Mm. You just said about things being a divorce, and Brexit is very much a divorce. Yeah. In World War II, we borrowed from the United States goods and logistics that we had for that cost us, in relative terms, in 2018, nearly a hundred billion pounds. Okay. And we, as a country, nobody else—not France, not Germany, not Italy, nobody else—we had to pay that back. Now, during this divorce. Surely that hundred billion pounds that we had to pay out as a, as a nation and our forefathers had to pay, surely that should be part of this negotiation too, because Mr. Junkers is very good at waving a finger at us and saying we should do this and we yeah. should do that. But on what grounds could we, we claim pay, any? But what on what grounds could we claim any of that from Europe, though, Jeff? Because it was our our expenditure to save Europe. You mean because of the war effort? Correct. Sir. Yeah. Okay. Correct. Well, I mean, and it's an interesting point. I've not really heard that being raised ever, ever by anyone, to be honest. Well, nearly £100 billion pounds in today's money. Yeah. £100 billion. So if we take that away from what they're saying we owe them, mm. they owe us some money. Yes. Can, yeah. I, can I also say very quickly before I go, I yeah. agree with what you're saying. Mm. Uh, I, I am no lover of politicians in any way, shape or form, but I've got to say that David Davis has the potential to be the greatest prime minister of our time. Yeah, I mean, I think he's he just, done he himself... He's a... an opportunity. That yeah. guy is so switched on. Mm. Well, I'm going to give him lots of opportunities on this show because I think he's brilliant. Uh, Jeff, thank you very much indeed. Jeff in Hull there.
Now, you're not going to believe this, right? You're not going to believe this. Um, last weekend, when I first read Dan Wooten's story that the Spice Girls are coming back, um, which he projected exclusively in the sun, uh, today he's got the first ever picture of the four of them back together. I actually downloaded myself a Spotify Spice Girls playlist and played it in the car all the way from Sussex back to London. You loved it. It was you? great. You loved it. Was it was fantastic. Dan's great, with us great, now. Great Let's songs. talk to him. He is, of course, executive editor of The Sun. Uh, he's the showbiz genius as well of uh, Talk Radio. The Dan, man in the know. Uh, very good morning, Clear. Hi, Dan. Mike, I love that. Hey, Katie. Yeah, I, I think that is the main point, though, Mike, because a lot of people can say, a lot of negative things about the Spice Girls, but they actually have music which absolutely stands the test of time. Pop genius. And that's what's going to be so great about having them all back together on stage. Well, all of them bar posh, of course, but uh, in, yes. in some ways that's almost a better story, isn't it? Well, look, I think they would have absolutely loved Victoria Beckham to be part of this reunion. I mean, partly to sell tickets. So this afternoon they're going to announce this massive summer stadium tour of the UK, obviously selling out stadiums. That is a tough thing to do for even the biggest acts in the world now. People like Taylor Swift and Beyonce and Jay-Z were struggling to sell out concerts in stadiums this summer, just be. But Victoria has obviously made the decision not to be a part of it. She was initially part of it, so it's all been a bit complicated and confusing to the other women as to why. But it seems like the biggest reason is that she has just had £30 million worth of investment in her fashion business, which has been financially failing now for some years. And the idea, I think, for those investors that she was going to be, rather than focusing full-time on turning the fashion business around, but actually being up on stage with the Spice Girls, that was too hard for them to stomach. And do you think it's going to be damaging for the four that's remaining, the, the fact that they, they're not offering what they offered the first time round? Look, I think it would obviously be much stronger as the five of them. But no, I don't actually, because what people forget is that for two years, the Spice Girls did go on tour with four members. That's when Jerry Hallowell quit the band. We do forget that, around. don't we? Yeah. Yeah, and Completely they did a world tour. So they had had different lineups. You know, they were five, then they were four without Jerry. Then they went back to five for the reunion tour in 2007 and 2008. And so this is the first time that they're actually going to have this lineup. So I think the crucial thing was about getting Melanie C on board, Sporty Spice, as some people might know her, because for quite some time, she had been totally opposed to the idea of doing anything unless it was all five members. But something's changed over the last few months. Simon Fuller, who was their original manager and one of the brains behind the success of the Spice Girls, he's now back on board as our modest management. They're a really big company that actually looked after One Direction and turned One Direction into global superstars. So they've got proper professionals behind them this time around. And I'm just rooting for them. I think the thing is, is that these ladies are young enough. They look amazing still. They're very, very talented. Why should they not make more of the Spice Girls just because one member is too miserable to take part? No, indeed. And what's the demographic going to be, though? Because the big question, I suppose, Dan, is is if this is going to go ballistic and, and, and you know, absolutely stratospheric, they're going to need to also bring in the younger generations. They say the internet's going to uh, sort of melt this afternoon when the, when the Spice Girls announcement's finally made. But do they um, sort of appeal to, to, to teenage girls anymore? Well, they've got a very great video that they've made, Mike, and I've actually seen it. So it is, it's good fun, and it's sort of Spice Girls 
uh, trademark humour. So I think hopefully it will break the internet. But I actually think the most important demographic here is actually 30 and 40-somethings. Mm. And that's the demographic that made the Take That reunion a big success, sold huge numbers of tickets for Take That, remember, when they reformed up and down the country. And remember... For a long time, Take That were touring without Robbie Williams. And then for the last couple of years, I've been touring without Robbie Williams or Jason Orange. So I actually think the Take That tour is a better example. And I think it's going to be difficult for the Spice Girls to have that same type of impact as the younger generation's stars. You know, it's only an Ariana Grande or someone like that these days, Taylor Swift, who get... That, who gets that massive pickup on social media because the music world has changed so much. But remember, where do you actually make money in the music business these days? You make money by going on tour. So if they can sell tickets to a 30, 40, 50-something demographic that loved the Spice Girls when they were younger and want to go for ultimate nostalgia, I actually think it could be a winning business strategy. One thing though, Dan, is that I've seen take that on on every pretty much every tour since they've changed, you know, dramatically and, and you think to yourself, oh, I'm probably not going to see them again. And then you go and buy tickets yet again. But they have pure theatre in their shows. It is like yeah. to go and see a West End show. You're watching kind of people, you know, things are flying through the air. And, you know, I, I worry that the Spice Girls are going to just turn up to a massive stadium. It's going to be half empty and they're just going to sing and perform. And, the, the, you know, the very theatre of seeing Take That uh, is what's worth every penny. And they reinvest in their shows. I'm hoping that the Spice Girls don't take all the ticket price and don't give much in return. No, from what I'm told, they do actually have big plans in terms of the creative for this tour. And I think you're absolutely right, especially in a stadium. It's utterly crucial now that you do something big, that you put the money back into the production, because otherwise it just looks rubbish, doesn't it? It does, it does. I think that's the point now. I mean, I went to U2 recently, Dan, and I mean, the the, the kind of the the hieroglyphics around it all and the pyrotechnics and, you know, the video screens and the movement and everything else that goes on. I mean, it's been described to me now as a rock show teamed with a kind of West End uh, sort of Broadway performance and that's what you need to do now. Absolutely, and I think the intention is that they will, to be honest. I don't think there's any sense within this camp that, oh, we're just going to turn up and sing. They want to put on a big show. This is a big, big launch. You'll see from the video today that they've gone all out with something. The, the photos that we unveiled today in the sun. That they look was, great. That was a big, glossy look. So I don't think this is going to be a cutting corners type exercise. What's going to be interesting to me is how fast the tickets sell. Do they sell fast enough to add more dates? And then does it go international, if, if so? Because obviously at this point, it is just the UK. Whereas it's going to be interesting to see, do they want to do Europe? Do they want to do America? Absolutely right. Dan, it's brilliant stuff. Uh, We'll look forward to the announcement this afternoon. You're back here on Friday, I understand. Yes, that's right. My Friday show is now um, 4 till 7 because Eamon Holmes obviously does drive time Monday to Thursday, so I'm back on Friday. Good stuff. We'll see you then. Dan Wooten, thanks very much indeed. Dan Wooten, executive resident of The Sun. It's a great picture of the Spice Girls. They it do is a look great, quite, great quite different. The image is quite different, isn't it? Yeah, it is. They, you know, it's a grown-up look. It's a, it's a glossy look. They don't look kind of, you know, I'm gonna tacky say, at all. They look I'm really say hot. something where you, uh, if you wish, may slap me around. Go I on. think some of them have aged better than others. I would agree with you. That's just talk radio. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app.
If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.